This is what causes emotional disturbance in people. This is also why people don't buy. These are all powerless statements. So this is basically the victim handbook. This is how you become a victim of your own life or how our prospects become victims of their own lives. Welcome to The Game, where we talk about how to sell more stuff to more people in more ways and build businesses worth owning. I'm trying to build a billion-dollar thing with Acquisition.com. I always wished Bezos, Musk, and Buffett had documented their journey, so I'm doing it for the rest of us. Please share and enjoy. So, sorry you guys had to go through the uh, my third uh, introduction. You're like, you know, I know who he is. Um, <laughs> he spoke yesterday and the day before. Um, no, I appreciate you guys. So... Today will be different than the first presentation I did. So first one was a very new style. Do you guys like that one? That style? Kind of like, cool. That was like a five. So I was like, okay, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> it was funny because I got off stage and uh, I was like, man, I was like, I don't know if it was as tight as I wanted it to be. He was like, and Caleb, my head, head of media, actually now director of brand, uh, was like, that was the first time you've ever done that, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to use your words back to you. It would be unreasonable that you were good at that. He's like, but I can't wait to see the hundredth one. And I was like, ah, cool. So um, I do that stuff too, just to be transparent with you. Um, that being said, we're going to do a cool deep dive together on a topic that I you know, hold near and dear to my heart, which is closing. All right. And so there are different styles of sales. There are some of you guys who kind of lean on your own story a lot when you sell. It's like, I got in shape and I know how you feel. Um, I think a little bit of that is lazy selling. When I st first started with some of my newer trainers, they would lean on their story as the reason that they could close, but that meant that they could only close people who related to their story. And so it's like, they could do really well with 25 year old girls, but if you had a 50 year old guy come in, they were fucked. And so in the beginning, sometimes we lean on the few things that we're good at, but over time you wanna become a generalist in terms of just understanding the psychology behind persuasion. Now, the big difference, and this is my big caveat here, and I'll probably include in the presentation, is that from a sales ethics perspective, the difference between help and manipulation is intention. At the end of the day, either way, you're going to change someone's behavior or your intention is to change someone's behavior. Now, if you want to help the person, it's a good thing. If you want to manipulate them and hurt them, ultimately, it's a bad thing. And if you think about sales as an education process overall, which is how I see it, if the prospect knew everything that you knew, they should make the decision to buy. Now, if you're being really honest with yourself, if the prospect knew everything that you knew, and then they would choose not to buy, then you are deceiving them, which is no bueno. And that is what makes you feel shitty. It's also what happens when, anyone here ever had a salesperson come in, start crushing it, and then go down? Anyone? So what happens is they learned more about your product. And then they don't want to hurt people. And so they stop selling. Like, they don't do it consciously, but they just don't want to like right when it gets to the point where they really have to lean in to like get this person across the line, they won't do it because deep down they don't believe. And so barring all the stuff that I'll cover today, which is a lot of the, I'm, I would consider myself more of a logical closer because I like presenting like, let's play both of these scenarios out. Let's see what it looks like. And if it makes sense for you, awesome. And I believe that logical closing has the best long-term outcomes for people. Like I can get everyone really rah-rah, get someone over the line and then they regret it the next day and then they call you back or they don't really buy into the concept. Because the thing is, is that today they're excited, tomorrow they're excited, but two weeks from now, when they haven't had as many carbs and their cheeks are all flush and they feel like shit, all of a sudden the emotions are gone. And so if the emotions is what they needed in order to make the decision, I want the logic to still be there so they can remember, oh yeah, that is this still makes sense, right? And so I tend to lean towards being a little bit more of a logical salesman, if you want to call it that. Um, 
and I think it served me well. So I want to give you some frameworks um, that I use really to help yourself make decisions, but also help your clients make decisions. And fundamentally, that's what I think sales is, is helping people make decisions to help themselves. Cool? All right. Rock and roll. So great. Decision making and selling with logic to make lots of money. Fantastic. So this presentation will be the best presentation on sales you've ever heard, the worst presentation on sales you've ever heard, or somewhere in between. That is a promise. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I was seeing who was awake. Um, so Charlie Munger, big hero of mine, he said, we have a high moral responsibility to be rational. And I think that's how I kind of approach selling and persuading and trying to get people to do the thing that would help them. All right. And so what does being rational or logical have to do with selling, right? Sometimes you've got logical buyers, sometimes you've got emotional buyers. There are different types of people who buy in different styles, just like there are different selling styles, different buying styles, right? Like maybe you and your spouse or you and your partner or whatever, uh, you know, one of you is like, let's go do this thing. And one of you is like, hey, let's get all the information, right? Uh, different styles. And so most people sit on this continuum. Quick test, who identifies here as more of an emotional buyer? I don't see that as a bad thing, by the way. Okay, who here identifies more as a logical buyer? Cool. Interesting. One of the things that I've noticed just as an observation is that the higher up in the business world you get, the more logical buyers you have, the fewer emotional buyers you have. Um, so I want you to put both hats on while you're thinking through this, because many of your clients will be emotional buyers and you may be more of a logical buyer. And that just changes over time. The more exposure to sales in general and marketing in general you get, the more, um, I don't want to say jaded, but the more accustomed to it you become. It's kind of like banner blindness. And so you kind of shift on this continuum over time. Who's in between? <laughs> you identify as in between. All right, never mind. Okay, so great. Uh, you'll love this. So, <laughs> sales for all people. So before we get started, a uh, few beliefs about selling that have served me well. One is that people want to believe you. They want to buy. You just have to help their logical brains justify the decision. Like most people are like, hey, I can make you a lot more money. They want to believe you. You just have to help them justify it. Hey, I can help you get into your high school jeans. I can make you look the way you did 20 years ago. You just got to help them justify. They just want, they want to believe you. You just got to help them. Selling happens before you ask. Closing happens after. All right. So everything that happens until you say, here's the money. Here's the amount that I need for this thing. All of that is sales. For me, I define closing as the moment you present the offer. Everything after that is closing. And to be clear, that is what I'm going to be talking about today. It's just the red zone. Three, it's easier to handle obstacles than objections. Obstacles are what you handle before. Objections, which you happen, handle after. That being said, expect and plan for no. It's not failure, it's expected. So stop being surprised. It's one of the biggest things I see with new salespeople who are just getting into sales is they freak out when someone says, no, thank you. I need to think about it. I'm not sure. I got to talk to my spouse. I'm not sure if it's a fit for me. I don't make fast decisions. I don't have the, I don't have the card I want to use on me, right? They say these things and was like, what do I say? And it's like, this is what you train for. Because if they were just going to buy, then you wouldn't be needed. If they already knew that they needed this thing, then they wouldn't be struggling with it to begin with. Like the sale is the first part of the coaching relationship, in my opinion. And this one's also a really good one to train salespeople with, is that if you didn't get a gasp from the price tag, they didn't go high enough. And so I like this a lot because then it prepares us and we shoot for what we used to be afraid of. Like if you didn't get a gasp, they're like, <gasps> it's a lot. And you're like, I know. <laughs> you're like, it's a lot. Um, hey, it's, it's 
Keep PG. Okay, so selling properly is the first step to becoming a coach. Your first impression, the expectations you set to dictate the relationship. All right, how you handle this first conversation, like every, have many of you seen research on first impressions, right? It's a lot harder to change a first impression. Well, the first impression of your business is the sale. And so a lot of things happen here. Like oftentimes you can change LTV's churn simply by changing the expectations you set in the sale. One conversation dictates how months of service are taken in. Selling is helping prospects make decisions to help themselves. I said that earlier. Keep the prospect, not the sale as the priority because it's not about you. And I don't know if I have this on here, but the person who cares the most about the prospect ultimately wins. Think about that for a second. So if you care more about them than they care about them, you will win because you'll have the leverage because you really want to help them. And then you will be kind, not nice. You'll ask the hard questions. If someone objects, seek to understand, not to argue or be right. This is something that took me more time to understand. Is like, if someone objects to buying, if you keep a curious hat on, you can keep in that frame for as long as you want. You just keep staying curious, like, huh, that's so weird. I wouldn't have thought that way. Why do you think that, right? As soon as you get into like your fists up of like, well, let me prove you wrong. It's kind of like Dale Carnegie's like, no one wins an argument. Like you don't win the sale by being right. Getting them to want to buy (laughs) is the ultimate objective, right? Because if they feel like they made the decision, then you'll also get buy-in later. And so you can't be combative. It's much more of a dance, which I think is one of these other ones. So maintain childlike curiosity at all times. Closing is a dance, not a fight. It is seduction, not rape. All right. That's the one that wakes everyone up in the morning. All right. The idea is like, it's a dance. It's fluid. You're moving, right? It's not coercion. It's not forced. And this is a big one. This is what I was hitting on earlier is that selling is a transference of belief over a bridge of trust. All right. So you have to have belief in order to transfer it. Sometimes your new salespeople have belief, they gain trust and they transfer it. And then they learn more about your company and then they have less trust and even, sorry, they have left less belief. And even though they have trust with the prospect because they have trust, they don't transfer the belief because they don't have it anymore. They used to, they thought you were all that and now they don't. And so they can't transfer it because there's nothing there. And so Anyone ever met somebody who became like uh, like a born-again Christian? I don't want to put a term on it. Anyone change religious beliefs that like you know? Anyone? Like in your life? Okay. So one of the really interesting things, at least that I've observed, is that like if someone comes to me, and this doesn't even have to be a religious thing. It's just an easy one to, 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 to observe, is that they're so convicted in their new belief that you start to question your, you're like, maybe they are right, <laughs> right? And the thing is, is that like the best sales tool is belief. And I keep repeating this because if I'm going to, if I'm going to turn a whole sales team around, all the stuff I'm going to show you is, is the hand to hand stuff. You got to memorize the stuff. You got to know the stuff, but this is like the sets and reps, right? Of sales. But if the team doesn't believe it just doesn't matter. I got flown in to turn this sales team around years ago, years, years ago. Um, and it was a mortgage sales company and they were selling mortgage leads. And first the morning I rewrote the script, repositioned it, blah, blah, blah. And in the afternoon they wanted me to train the guys. So I got on the sales floor, they, you know, gathered everybody around. They wanted me to do like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. If you've seen that scene, like always be closing. And so they wanted me to like rile the troops up. And so I sat down and I was like, who's the guy you're having issues with? And they're like, John. I was like, John, how good are the leads? Cause that's what they were selling. It's like, how good are the leads? 
He's like, well, there. And I was like, I'm good. Thanks, man. And uh, I was like, it was a simple question. I was like, if you believed, you would have been like, dude, these leads are so good. Right now, I'm studying for my real estate exam so I can start taking these leads. I got my aunt to quit her job so that she can start taking these leads. My uncle is a realtor, so I'm selling him leads right now. And honestly, I hope that in 12 weeks, I'll be out of this role so I can start doing these too. I was like, that's what it sounds like when you believe. You don't believe. So of course you don't sell. I was like, it doesn't matter. And then I ripped up the script to be all dramatic. Um, I was like, it doesn't matter what's the words on here. I was like, if you guys don't believe, it's not like none of this will matter. And then they went and closed a bunch, right? <laughs> but it was like, it's about the belief more than anything. And so if you need to fix that, fix that first with you or your team. And if there are things that you know you should do to fix the product, to make a better onboarding experience, et cetera, do that. Because the thing is, is that when you do that, you will approach the sale differently because you'll be so confident what you're, what, you're, what you're delivering. You can only build trust if you generally want to help. And humans are exceptionally good at sniffing out intention. Like we've got thousands of years of adaptation and evolution to help us see who is lying to us. And so it's like commission breath. I like that term a lot. If you have commission breath, people can smell it. And so I think one of the big frame shifts that I like to do when I approach a sale is like, it's about them. I just want to help this person. And if like, I just have to reset myself every time I get into the room, right, right before I sit down with somebody is keeping that intention at top of mind, which is human first. It's like, I'm going to prioritize this human, not the sale. But if you do that, they'll have a positive experience with you either way, and you'll also close more deals. This is a big one. So I've talked about belief. I've talked about bridge of trust. They are continuums, not binaries. So you have to treat them that way. It's not, do you have belief in your product? Do you not have belief in your product? Do you have trust with the prospect? Or do they trust you? Or do they not trust you? It's how much do they trust you? How deep is your belief? Right? Because if they trust the shit out of you, and your belief is miles deep in terms of how much you believe, how hard do you think it will be to sell? Not, right? And so a lot of us are like, did you build rapport? It's not, did you build reports? How much rapport did you build? Does that make sense? Okay. If you can start changing your language this way, then it also gives you an ability to continue to get better. It's not like, oh yeah, I built rapport. I have trust. They believe me, right? It doesn't work that way. It's how much. It's to what extent. Oops, wrong way. There we go. Closers ask hard questions because they genuinely care, right? These are the hard conversations. It's funny because a lot of you guys are really good at having hard conversations with prospects, but really bad at having hard conversations with your team. If you can have a hard conversation with your team, it'll be easy with prospects. The person who cares the most about the prospect wins the deal. This is just a side note. Record all your sales always. One of my biggest regrets in life is that I have 4,000 undocumented sales. Like, boy, wouldn't that be nice today if I could use all those? So please, for the love of God, document all these things. Best champions, watch game footage. The goal of closing is to get someone to decide not to buy. And the thing is, is that you actually have to believe this. If you're training your sales team and you're like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to help these people decide. I don't want you to help get them to buy. I want you to help them decide. And if their decision is to buy, that's awesome. But that means that you reward them when they get someone to decide either way. This is different than many of you probably do this. And this took me time. So I'm just, I'm giving you the stuff that I've learned. All right. Because if you do that, then you reward the activities rather than the outcome. Because they can only control, like the sales team, yourself included, can only control what you do. You can't control what they do. But what you can do is actually try and get them to confront the decision that they've been putting off for a long time. And finally, power is the ability to direct or influence people. If you want to be powerful, you must learn this skill. Because fundamentally, if you can move mountains, you can move rooms, you can get people to do stuff, you have power. You have the ability to direct or influence other people. And so sales is power. 
And if that makes you feel queasy, then I think you should check yourself and think like, why do I not want to be powerful, right? You can build hospitals, you can build bombs, right? Power. And so I think for me, I've, you know, sales has been always near and dear to my heart because it's the thing, if you're like, you want to make an impact, it's like, well, what is an impact? It means like influencing lots of people. How do you influence lots of people? You have to persuade them. So that's what we're doing. Cool? Okay. So when does selling happen? When you engage the lead, when you qualify the lead, when you solicit the sale, when you close the sale? The entire time. Now, what are we going to talk about today? Closing the sale. Everything you have to do after asking for the sale to get someone to buy. That's all we're going to talk about. Just the last five yards. Okay. And so here's an insane stat for you. And this is something that, you know, Kale and I were talking about yesterday, which is if a gym owner knows how to close, we're just not that worried about them because they can afford the most expensive leads. They can sell for higher prices because they know how to close. There are very few people in the fitness world that do not succeed if they know how to close. It's just hard to fail. And I found this stat, and I thought it was really interesting, is that the top five red zone offices made the playoffs 90% of the time. Of all stats in football, top five offenses in the red zone, when the game's on the line, when they need to close the deal, made the playoffs 90% of the time. Wasn't about special teams, wasn't about defense, wasn't about just in the red zone. People who can score when the game's on the line go to the playoffs 90%. I was like, that's a good stat. So if you want to be a top 10% gym, might be something worth having. So here's how I have observed the breakdown of prospects when it comes to closing. 10% of people are never going to buy, which means you can't get upset about the fact that someone doesn't buy. That's why we have to focus on getting them to decide, not necessarily to buy, because otherwise you're always going to be upset. On the other hand, 10% of people were going to buy if you were not there. <laughs> if you were a scarecrow that just said, please buy, <laughs> question mark. Got credit card, question mark, right? Now, 80% of people need help deciding. And this is why we train. And I think presenting this to your team is also really helpful just so that they understand. It's like, this is what we train for. It's for the 80% of people that need help. That's why they're here. If they knew how to make the decision on their own, they wouldn't need our help. They would do it already. And so if after this presentation, you just have one more bullet in your chamber, one more play in your arsenal to close, one more deal per month, my goal is that that pays for this whole weekend for you. Cool? Okay. Awesome. There you go. I even have put a little thing there. Okay. One of my favorite sayings is that you're only one decision away from changing your life forever. And I love thinking about this when I think about talking to a prospect. It's like, this decision could change their life forever. And that's a lot of power, right? But instead of changing lives, and this is what's interesting for me, we blame. Think, give power to sources outside of our control. And this is exactly what the people who walk in your gym and we do it ourselves every day. And so even though I said originally that this is a talk on logical closing, what it really is, is a talk on power. And so the problem is that most people cast their power, they become victims of their own lives because they point to other things to cast their power to. This is us and our prospects. And this is why so many people are weak and powerless. And so I believe that if you can talk to somebody who is powerful and you can help them realize that they are powerful, then you talk to an empowered individual, which believe it or not, often buy shit to help themselves. Okay? So we're going to do a fun activity today. One, help you make a decision to help yourself with whatever decisions you are facing in life. Some of you guys have some hard decisions that I was talking about two days ago. Some conversations that need to happen, right? I don't know why there's another one, but number one, there you go. 
Use these frameworks to help prospects help themselves. And then finally, just become more powerful yourself. Okay? This is what we're going to do. So, rather than keep this hypothetical, I want you to visualize the decision that you need to make. All right? So, this is one of my favorite sayings from Confucius. I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. Right? You might have read 100 books about sales, but your first 100 actual conversations probably taught you more than all of them put together. Right? When you do it, you start to understand. It starts to make sense. All right, so think through a decision. If you want, write it down. It doesn't matter to me. As long as it's in your head, walk through these decision-making frameworks for yourself because that way you can transfer them to other people. Okay? So who was presented with a decision in the last 24 hours? Anyone? Okay. Sandra. Just kidding. Uh, Sandra was the good one. Sarah. Right? Okay. Who thinks getting rid of Sarah or doing anything else could better improve your life? Yes? Yeah, two people. Fantastic. Everyone else, fucked. <laughs> so my goal is that I want to show you as though you were a prospect how to think through the decision, all right? And how you can help others using this. What I want, what I don't want. Cool. I'm going to skip this real quick. Sales ethics. I think I covered this earlier because I want to get to the... So helping someone make a decision to help themselves does not mean buying from you. It just means keeping them and their goals at the center of the decision, okay? I keep repeating this because it's so important. And you should be happy if someone makes a decision for themselves independent of whether they choose to work with you or not. If you can get to that point, you'll be untouchable because they have no leverage over you. Like that's how you sell from your back foot is that if you are genuinely happy that if they make a decision, an empowered decision that's informed not to work with you, you're like, what a great day. I helped this person out. If you can get there, you become untouchable because you don't need anything. Mosey Nation, real quick, if you are a business owner that has a big old business and wants to get to a much bigger business, going to 50, $100 million plus, we would love to talk to you. And if you like that or would like to hear more about it, go to acquisition.com. You can apply anywhere on the page and talk to one of our team and see if we can help you get there. And so most importantly, how to make high stakes decisions and help your prospects do the same. Cool. So here's a fun delineation. Obstacles versus objections. Who here has heard these terms? Good, thank you, like, thank God. Okay, <laughs> who knows the difference? Ah, so obstacles are a thing that blocks one's way or prevents or hinders progress. When you disagree with something they say, so you disagree with them, that is an obstacle. Here's an example. Hey, why'd you hop on the call today? Them, I just wanted to find out more about the program. That's an obstacle. They're giving you bullshit. That's not why they hopped on. They didn't find out more about the program. They hopped on because they're fat right? That's why they're there. I was like, you don't spend all day hopping on information to find out about programs, right? No. Well, then why are you doing that? Because I'm overweight. I don't like how I look. I don't like how I feel, blah, blah, blah. Ah, so you have a problem you want to solve. Yes. Fantastic, right? If you don't address that, it blows up on you in the clothes, right? Obstacles happen before you present the offer. Objections happen after. Objections are an expression or feeling of disapproval or opposition, a reason for disagreeing when they disagree with you. So obstacles, we're in the offensive. We get to go attack them and their limiting beliefs. You're in the driver's seat before you make the offer. So you want to destroy as many of these obstacles as we possibly can, the things that will hinder them from making a decision before we get to the close. That being said, once we get to the close, we need to know how to handle objections. Them, I don't want to buy right now. You, totally reasonable. What are the main criteria you're thinking through? And they're like, oh, fuck, he's still here. <laughs> I thought this was going to end this. And you're like, I've had this more conversation more times than you. <laughs> All 
All right. So learning how to talk through those high stakes decisions with yourself or others is the purpose of presentation. All right. And the result is that everyone here is more powerful and can transfer that power to other people. So before I dive into each of those arguments, this is a big point is that the person has to really want the goal and believe that one, the product will get to them to their goal the way they want to get there. Two, that you and others will support them. And three, that it will work for them, not just everyone else. Super important. If they don't believe these things, you could understand all the stuff I'm going to show you and they're not going to buy. All right. You have to provide proof that it would be more unreasonable for them not to believe. You have have to provide proof that it would be more reasonable for them to believe than to not believe. All right. The reason that Jim Launch has a gazillion testimonials is because like we just want to be like, obviously this shit works. We've done it a hundred thousand fucking times. We know how the model works. Right. And just like you, you're talking to your prospect. You're like, I promise calorie deficits work. I promise you don't have a stubborn metabolism. You know what I mean? You don't. Go to Uganda. They don't have stubborn, they don't have stubborn body fat there. Tough, right? <laughs> Real talk. Otherwise, if they're unsure of those things, they will object to something else in the close. Okay? Which is why you should expect no at first. Because if they can make the decision, they wouldn't need your help. They would just send you money. Wouldn't that be nice? Great. That's the appetizer. Now to the main course. So here's my request. I see a lot of cameras. For now, for the rest of it, just put them down. And I want you to just be present with me. Because... I'm sure there's recordings or whatever, and you can watch these things later. But what I would like you to do is just be present because it's the only thing, only time we can do this IRL. All right. So this is Richard Feynman. Big fan of his. He's dead now. He was one of the guys who worked on the atom bomb. Uh, Understand, don't memorize, learn principles, not formulas. If you can understand the frameworks I'm going to show you, then you'll be equipped to have these conversations with your prospects for the rest of your life. If you can just understand them rather than memorizing, because let's be real, you're not going to memorize them in the next 45 minutes. You're not going to. But if you can understand them, you can approach them with forever. Okay? There you go. So, there are three sources that we cast our power to that I'll break down. This is Albert Ellis. He was, uh, probably haven't heard of him. Anyone heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT? He invented it. Or is one of the fathers of it. If you would stop, really stop, damning yourself, others, and unkind conditions, you would find it almost impossible to upset yourself emotionally about anything. Yes, anything. And so when he was with 30 or 40 years of therapy, he tried to break down all the things that people were bothered about. In the beginning, he had 11, and then he had nine, and then he had seven. And then finally, at the end of his career, he said, there's only three things that people get upset about. And they also are the same three things that people cast their power to. And these are his causes of emotional disturbance. Circumstances. I must get what I want when I want it. I must not get what I don't want. And if I, get what I, if I don't get what I want, I can't stand it. That is the belief. Two, other people must treat me fairly and kindly. And if they don't, they are no good and they deserve to be condemned and punished. And three, self. I must do, else, I must do well or else I am no good. This is what causes emotional disturbance in people. This is also why people don't buy. These are all powerless statements. So this is basically the victim handbook. This is how you become a victim of your own life or how our prospects become victims of their own lives. So I call this the onion of blame. So there's the big scapegoats. You've got circumstances, other people, and then finally self. And this is important because as we're going to be going through this, when a prospect presents with a circumstance issue, then you are at the outermost layer of their onion, which means you still might have two or three more layers you got to dig through before you get to somebody who's empowered to make a decision. And so if you hear a circumstance, just be ready. You're like, I might have two or three more layers I got to get through. If you talk to somebody and they're like, I got to talk to my spouse, then you're like, okay, I got to get through that one. And then they're like, oh, I can make a decision. 
I need to think about it. So you have to be able to wade through all of these layers and be prepared for that rather than thinking that like, oh, I'll just overcome this one thing and they'll buy. People have got a lot of shit on their heads, which is why they can't make decisions, which is why they're asking for your help. So even though these are the things that distort other people's realities, they manifest in five different ways. So I want to equip you how to deal with these. So these are the five. So you got circumstances, other people's self, but this is what they look like. You've got time, obstacles. People say, I don't have time for it. You got value obstacles, which is I don't have the money for it. You got fit obstacles, which is this isn't for me for XYZ special snowflake reason. You got authority, which is I got to talk to my friends, spouse, mom, dog, grandmother, employees, business partner, whatever, my online discord group for my gaming community. Um, And then self, which is it looks like avoidance. They avoid the decision. They just try not to make it for fear of making a mistake. And the interesting thing is that you think that when you overcome a money thing, you're actually getting to the root of it. It's often not true. That's a surface level thing. Anyway, it's easy to say time. I don't have time. I don't have money, right? It's easy to say that stuff when they're like, I'm really afraid of failing. That's when you have like a much more real conversation, right? So you have to be equipped to show someone the logical fallacies around the things that are keeping them in a state of emotional disturbance, in a state of victimhood, in a state of powerlessness. Cool. So time, now it's not a good time. Value, I can't afford it. Fit, not sure it's for me. Authority, I have to talk to my spouse or partner. Avoidance, I need to think about it in general. I don't make fast decisions. Those are the principles. Quick test. Are you physically in the room today? Raise your hand. Awesome. All right, because this is gonna be a little bit more interactive on this side. All right. So raise your hand if you've ever thought or had a prospect say, time, I'm busy. Now's not a good time, maybe in the future. All right. So time, now's not a good time. Here's, I have pages and pages and pages and pages of obstacle overcomes. And I looked through all of these to make this presentation. And I was like, what are the three that I use the most that I can simplify into a framework that you guys can use? Okay. So I break this down in my head as macro, micro, seasonal. Sorry, macro, micro, when then. Macro is the, this is a busy time in my life. All right. Micro, which I'll get to in a second, is I don't have the time in the day. Slightly, present slightly differently. I'll show you how to overcome both of them. All right. So if someone says, hey, now's not a good time. I'm too busy. This is why I didn't want you to memorize because there's no, there's no script here. All right. Is that you have to believe that there's a false statement implied there. I was going to say, does anyone know who it is? But there's no mic. So I'll just tell you. <laughs> if they feel like they don't have time now, then they assume that in order for them to be successful, they can't be busy, which means that, okay, let's play it your way. You're busy now. So when you're not busy again in the future, you'll do it, right? Yep. Okay. So do you think that means that you'll never be busy for the rest of your life? Because it assumes that in, if you are busy, that you will stop. Do you want to be fit for the rest of your life? Yes. Do you think you'll be busy at some point in the rest of your life? Yes. Well, then it means that you should probably learn how to do it when you're busy. And that's probably the time you're going to need the most support, which is what I'm here for. So let's get you started. Does that make sense? Logical, right? Oh, thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Had the sale before. <laughs> but I, I, this is why I want, like, you guys, can, like, if this helps you close one more deal this month, every single month, it paid for the weekend, okay? That was number one. We've got, like, 16 more, okay? But this is how I think about it. It's like my, each of these, that little statement there is my quick cue. If someone says, oh, I'm really busy right now, I'm like, busy is the best time. Busy is the best time. And they're like, oh, fuck, that was going to be my obstacle. Shit. You're like, that's amazing. Busy is the best time because that's when you need the most support. Because if you learn how to do it when it's hard, every, the rest of your life, it'll be easy. 
And they're like, fuck, that's a really good argument. <laughs> He's right. Damn, he can have my credit card. <laughs> right? Okay. Now let's go micro, hour by hour. So if someone's like, no, I literally don't have the time in the day because I have all these other things. Now, we know that's a priorities issue. But if you want, you can show it to them. And this is how I do it. So I say, you know what? Totally understand. I used to f- say the same thing to my wife. Now, you make yourself the person who they're going to step into their identity. Because you're not calling them silly pants. You're calling yourself a silly pants. You're like, listen, I was a silly pants too. I used to say this to my wife all the time. And I bitch and moan about how I didn't have time to do the things to make more money. Didn't have the time to do more things to get in shape, et cetera, et cetera. And one day she got so sick and tired of me complaining about this that she grabbed my phone out of my hands as I was scrolling social media, looked at the amount of hours per day. And she was like, you spend three and a half hours on social media every day. I guess I found you some time. <laughs> Anyone here have some time, right? And then as a, as a secondary point here, it's like, do you think there's anyone else on earth who's had less time than you who's been able to make this happen? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, do you really think that's the issue or do you think it's a priorities thing? Because at the end of the day, everyone has the same 24 hours. And I used to say this when I was close de- closing deals because it was back when Obama was president. I was like, President Obama gets up every day to run. I was like, he's running the fucking world. I was like, you don't have time to come to the gym, right? And they're like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> And the thing is, is like right now, you feel like you don't have the time, but everyone has the same amount of time, right? And so the thing is, is that right now, you're not spending the time that you are given well. And so the first thing we're going to do is cut the 90% of the shit that you are doing that's not working. So you're going to actually gain all that time back. So it's going to be a net positive. Because have you seen anyone else who's been able to be successful, do the things you want to do and stay in shape? They're going to say yes. You're like, right, which means if it's possible for them, it's possible for you. You just have there with the right tools. That's what I'm here for, right? And to be fair, this works for anything, right? If you're thinking about your gym stuff, you're like, you're working all the time. It's like, I don't have time to do it. It's like, well, the shit, your shit's not working. Obviously, you're spending all your hours doing it and you're not making any more money. Spending time on the wrong stuff. Cool. So that's the micro hour by hour. Good. Oh, thank, thank you for that one. Yeah, we'd have a, we'll have a lot of those if, if we, uh, anyways, I'm going to keep moving. We'll just do that one. Okay. So third one is the when-then fallacy. This is one of my favorites, all right? Which is like, I'll start working out. I'll start saving money when, right? It's a when-then fallacy. And you'll recognize it pretty easy. And again, you're going to say, I totally understand where you're coming from. This kept me stuck for years, right? I was a silly pants too. (laughs) It's just fun to say silly pants. And so, and until I found out one day that that line of reasoning is called the when-then fallacy. And so it's like saying like, when I am healed... I'll go to the hospital, right? Once I save money, then I'll start investing, right? It's like, it doesn't work that way. Like you have to get the order correct. It's like, you have to go to the hospital in order to get healed. You have to go to the gym in order to get in shape, right? It's not that you come to the gym once you are in shape. That doesn't make any sense, right? When I have more time, I'll do it. It's a when-then fallacy. Does that make sense, everybody? It's an easy one, but it's just when they give you this thing, when I have more time, I'll do it. It's like, no, we have to make the time and then we'll have the thing. Everyone feel like they can overcome time issues? Yes? Cool. Okay. As a total tactical one, which I'm sure the gym watch team has already told you, like you should also just ask them what times they're planning on working out to begin with before you do the sale, have them circle the times, very easy. And then you can hopefully knock that. Okay, fantastic. So now they're like, I can't afford it. And you're like, okay. Roll up your sleeves. You're like, sure, you can't. Sure. Step into my trap. Okay, so raise your hand if you ever had a prospect say or do one of these things. Yes? Yes, everyone. Like, one person's like, I've never had that happen. 
Not, tw- not to me. All right, so here's four. There's, there's a zillion of these. I was talking to my team earlier, and they were like, well, what if someone says this? And I started doing them, and I was like, oh, fuck, none of these are in the presentation. But you know what? We'll see. So there's four reasons that I like using a lot. These are probably the most common ones I use to overcome this, because at the end of the day, everybody here has to understand that whenever someone says they can't afford it, it's because it's not valuable enough. So I'll give you a simple example. Think about whatever amount of money. All right, let me put it this way. If I said, hey, these are the keys to my Ferrari, and you're not competing against each other, or you're not even competing, like whatever. Imagine a very poor person, whatever. I will give it to you for $5,000 if you can give me $5,000 in the next 24 hours. What does that person start thinking? I'm going to find a way to get $5,000 to get this Ferrari because it's worth a lot more than $5,000, right? It's very clear. And so the problem is when we present our thing, they don't see it that way. And so they don't think, oh, I have to find a way to get this to work. And so that means that we didn't communicate enough value. If you communicate enough value, the resources are never an issue. Your team has to believe that. Otherwise, it's never going to stick. Like they have to really believe that because they're like, oh, the guy was broke. It's like they should. And one of the things that I always prided myself on was I was an equal opportunity salesman. And I don't mean that in a woke political way. I mean, that it's like if every person who walked in the door is like their money spends the same. And I had people who really looked rough walking in my door sometimes. <laughs> Pretty sure I had a few people that lived in their cars that I tried to sell. Um, but the thing is, is like I was like, if this person wants to get a job, getting in shape and getting some sort of routine in their life is probably really important. And so I sold hard and I wanted to give an equal opportunity. Some people, many people in this room, you start getting lazy. You start deciding whether you're going to actually try to sell the person before you open your mouth based on what you judge them by. And that makes you a worse salesperson and it doesn't help them. Some of my favorite sales were single moms that had four kids that drove Uber on the weekend to make it work. And they were like, it's important for me. They changed their life around, got a better job, found a guy, whatever. Like, I was very proud of those hard closes. They're like, how am I going to make this work? I was like, let's set a game plan together. Because if you're on the same side of the table and they actually believe you that you are trying to help them, you can have that conversation of like, all right, well, let's, let's, let's look at it. Do you get your nails done? Do you get your hair done? Do you like, do you go out on the weekends? Do you got to eat? You know, like you can go through all the things and all of a sudden they're like, okay, we found that. We found that. We're good. But unless you have that rapport and they trust that you really do want to help them, you can't have those conversations. So let's go through the first one, which is someone says, that's a lot of money. I can't afford it. And so you just say, so this is a lot of money for you. And they're going to be like, yeah, this is called taking the bait. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, well, that's amazing because I'm actually more concerned when someone says that it's not a lot of money for them because I don't think they're going to care much about it. All my best testimonials, my best case studies from people where this is a lot of money for them. Because if it's a lot of money for you, does that mean you're going to try really hard? They're like, yeah. I'm like, right. Then you should be the last person who's worried about getting the results because this means a ton to you. Right? Does that make sense? So then you can transition. It's like, hey, well, before, we even, before I even close you on that one, would you even believe me if I said it was one-tenth of the price that it was going to do all the things I promised? I'd be like, well, no. And you're like, right. So you knew you were going to do this either way, right? <laughs> and if you were selling a B2B thing, which you are, but if you were, it's like, how long do you want I can't afford it to be on your list of problems in life? Right? So why the fact that it's expensive for them is a good thing. That's point one. Boop. Next one is why it's not actually a lot. So this is where you start expanding on value, which is like, okay, well, fundamentally, if you got to your high school weight, would it be worth it? They're like, yeah, it would be worth it. I was like, okay, so the issue isn't whether it's expensive or not. The issue is that you don't believe that it can happen for you. Let's just make sure we're clear here. 
right? And so what happens is you can pull apart the price from the belief and the belief you can then attack on its own, right? Because again, for many people, like if you just say enough, if all this did was, they're like, yeah, it would do that. It's like, great. So then it's not about it being expensive. It's about you extrapolating your past experiences that didn't work for you under this present scenario, which makes sense, but it may, let me see if I can get, fuck it. I'll just tell you, I'll skip ahead to, we'll get, I'll skip a slide later. You don't let a bad decision burn you twice. Has anyone heard this, this one? It's probably my, one of my, one of my most used obstacle overcomes, which was, I get it. You had something that happened in the past that didn't work. Maybe multiple things that didn't work. The only thing worse than having that thing not work is letting that bad experience burn you twice. Once when it didn't happen, the second time when it prevented you from doing the right, the right move, right? Like, did you ever have somebody you dated in high school or let me just put this, anyone dated anyone in middle school? Anyone? Remember this one? Six inches, right? Imagine that heartbreak that you had when you were in seventh grade. Fucking Caroline Caputi. <sighs> Imagine that heartbreak, right? In seventh grade or six, whatever it was, um, where you, you get your heart broken. And then you say, no people ever again shall I ever date, right? You would have let that bad scenario burn you twice and prevent all the good things that have happened from all the people that you've dated since then, or hopefully that you're married to. Right? And if somebody who's married in front of you, it's a lot easier. It's like, was the person that you're married to the first one you ever dated? They'll say no. And you're like, right. Imagine if you'd stopped dating after that first breakup you ever had. That would have been bad, right? Well, it's kind of like what you're doing right now with this bad thing. Do you think it's impossible for you to get in shape? No. Okay. Well, then do you think it's possible that there's somebody who's a good fit for you, a good program for you, the husband program for you, if we did it? Yes. Does that make sense? Okay. And so then at this point... When we are attacking a belief, I like to have the big wall of testimonials. So if you guys don't have this, like, please, for the love of God, have floor to ceiling testimonials of your before and afters and your five star reviews. It takes an afternoon to do it. Just do it. Because then all you have to do is point around you and say, would it be more unreasonable for you to not believe than to believe? How many, how many before and after pictures would you need to see in order for you to believe that this could happen for you? Because it becomes unreasonable, right? This is why Jim Lush has 5,000 fucking, actually, I think we counted like two years ago, we had 1,600 testimonials. It's a lot, right? Cool. So that's why it's actually not a lot. So the first one is why the fact that it's a lot for you is a good thing. The second one is why it's actually not a lot when you think about it, right? It's about the value, not about the price. Third one is what's money good for anyways, right? Because the big thing is, is that money is going to get spent either way, right? You guys are going to spend your money. Your prospects are going to spend their money in the next 12 months, no matter what. And the question is, is it going to be something that's going to make you better or is it going to be shit that you don't need? If you look at your last 12 months, is there a bunch of shit you spent money on that you didn't need? Probably. Do you want to do that again in the next 12 months? No. Would it be nice to have something that paid some dividends? Yeah. Because here's the real real, is that you're going to be buying the lessons from this program either way. That is the line. You're going to be buying this program either way. The question is whether you want to spend time or we're going to spend money. You're buying them either way. And so do you want to spend 15 years trying to figure this out on your own, trying to get in shape, trying to grow your gym, or do you want to spend the money? Because the thing is, is we always spend the thing that we value least. So if you value your time over your money, you spend the money to keep your time. If you value your money more than your time, then you spend your time and save your money. Do I need to tell you which one rich people do, right? And at the end of the day, like, what's money good for anyways? It's to get you the stuff you want, right? Do you want this thing? Yeah. Well, what else are you going to buy with the same money? Because when you're saying that you don't want to spend it, you have something else in mind that you want to spend it on. 
Why is that thing more valuable than this thing? Good questions. And the person's like, well, fuck. And you're like, right, it's okay, it's normal. This isn't my first conversation here, <laughs> right? Right. 